this long, warm summer that we have going here, I thought to myself, this is going to be great to go to a soccer game last night. So, man, I was five layers in by the end of the first half. And I thought, like, is this a Golden Gopher football game here or what's going on? But I trust that the Holy Spirit is with us this morning and we're going to have a great time together. Because one of the big questions that lies before us as we go through the book of 1 John is, what does it mean to be an authentic Christian? What does it mean to be a true child of God? What does it look like? And last week, as Neil unpacked his passage, he talked a lot about this idea of being a child of God, of being loved by God. And that because we are loved by God, then we can live in righteousness and we can defeat the works of the devil. And so we are loved. We are children of God. And what John is doing to these churches he's writing to, many of which you read about in the book of Revelation, he's calling his readers and he's calling us back to a proper understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Proper theology. Orthodoxy. And we... We find out that a person that is living for self to to gain, to try to take what he or she can from this world is really what we might call an inauthentic Christian. But a person that is loving and sacrificial and is giving then is one that is acting on his or her faith. And so as we come to this question, what is an authentic Christian It's not something you can check off. It's not being the best at Bible study or coming to the most church services or even having the best kids. It's something that's even simpler but more difficult to do, and that's to love. This is going to be John's thing now for the next two or three weeks. He's going to talk a lot about love. And what I want you to do today is is to begin to grapple with a, a kind of love that no one sees in this world except from people who love Jesus. And it is a, a, a incredibly demanding thing, but the Holy Spirit will come and help us have this abnormal, supernatural, devastating and marvelous, powerful, but unusual love. So we're going to chase after that this morning, and we're going to find out what it looks like. And it's pretty exciting. So open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 John chapter 3 beginning in verse 13. It be good to have your Bibles open this morning because we're going to be hopping around a little bit because John's talking in circles again. I would have loved to have coffee with him. It would have been a three-hour coffee to get to one point because he circles around so much, although he probably would have paid. Page 1022 in your pew Bible. 1 John 3, beginning in verse 13. We're going to see an incredible contrast in this passage. It's going to be between Satan's kingdom and God's kingdom. Between hate and love. And we're going to talk about how our actions speak to where we are on that spectrum. So we begin with verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And, in, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. And so this is really an interesting passage. There's, as you've already guessed, there's a lot going on there. So we need to unpack it. And from a 30,000-foot view, as we look at this passage, it's the idea of if I want to be called a Christian, if I want to say that I walk with Christ, if I want to have a real relationship with Jesus, then I am to love the brothers. I am to be one who loves other people. I am now in the kingdom of Christ. I am no longer in the kingdom of darkness. And the, and the contrast that John is going to paint today is, is really stark. It is this kingdom over here, which is the kingdom of hate and death. It is the world system. It is culture. It is what Satan has his arms around. Hate that leads to death. And then, over on this side, we have this beautiful kingdom that Jesus has brought to us. And this kingdom is about love, which leads to life. So what I want for you this morning is to not have a foot or an arm or even any of you in this kingdom. I want to move over here as a church and as individuals and love like Jesus loved. And so what we're going to do this morning is just start with the negatives. And then we'll move to the positives because we have to know what it means not to love before we can learn what it means to love. So the first point I want to make to you this morning is that Hate and death mark the world system. It's all about this. And when you look around, you don't have to go far to see it. And it's not even front page news. You know what it's like to be in the workplace, at school, backbiting, people jockeying for position. This is culture. This is the world system. So this is what Satan has designed and what he's doing in our culture. And the first point I want to make about this dark, dark world is that hatred is normal behavior within the world system. Hatred is normative here. Jesus was very clear about this. John heard, must have heard him say this a hundred times as they walked together and ministered. Verse 13, do not be surprised that the world hates you then why are we surprised? I, I just hear people all of the time just complaining about how hard it is to be a Christian. Verse 13, Do not be surprised that the world hates you. That's okay if we're loving each other. 
But if that hate extends into the Christian community, then we have problems. Because then where do we go? Where do we find the kind of love that Jesus has designed for us? Now, before John can explain what it means to love unusually, he kind of gets really, really to the point. If you remember back in Neil's passage, in verse 12, he mentions Cain as an example of what it is like in Satan's kingdom. Cain, of course, was the first murderer. This is what happens there. And we can see designs of Satan all over our culture. We see Christians continuing to be persecuted. True story. The world hates us. And it's not going away. And it's coming to us at some point. We may not live to see it, but it's coming to America, as Neil Diamond would say. Racism. I don't think it ever went away, but it's been rekindled. And make no mistake about it, racism is of Satan's dark world. Love what the Southern Baptists are doing. The Southern Baptists and their convention recently have grappled with the idea of racism. They've grappled with what it means to be a Christian and walk in a culture that is full of this kind of stuff. And they took a stand for Christ in this. And they said what it is. It's sin. But this is part of Satan's world system. Terrorism. Violence. Shaming. This is part of what happens here. We have no business being here. This is about hate. It's about awful things. It's about treating people badly. doesn't mean there can't be love in our culture, because we're all made in the image of God. So there are people that do loving things. But not the kind of love that we'll see in the Spirit as we move to the kingdom of Christ. So hate is normal in the world system. Secondly, Satan, again, just to emphasize the point, he oversees this culture. Now, I want to make myself really clear. It doesn't mean that Satan is sovereign over God. What it means is that God has given Satan rulership over the system that we live in for a short time. And then Satan will be defeated. But this is what we live in. If you look back at verse 10, just go back to verse 10 where Neil was last week, and we'll catch up a little bit here. By this it is evident who are children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Wow. It is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil, and one of his litmus tests is loving our brothers. It's not mincing words. So what I'm guessing is happening in these churches, and we know some of it is happening by what we read in, in Revelation, is that love is a real issue. Is that they weren't loving each other well. And John was concerned about this because he knew that Christ had said, this is a big thing for me. This is the most important commandment. You love God to love your neighbor. Now you may be thinking to yourself, well, what are you talking about? Children of the devil. I, I grew up in a Christian home. I... I went to church all my life. I had a godly family. Children of the devil, that sounds like a movie. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Before you met Christ, you were a child of the devil. That means that you were firmly implanted in the dark system of Satan. 
And it is only the grace of God and the gospel that has rescued you from that domain of darkness into life. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever let anybody tell you that it's your doing that has gotten you where you are. Spiritual life comes through the power of Christ living in us through the Holy Spirit, which enables that to happen. Paul knew about this, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. He says it really clearly. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's where hate is. That's where we don't belong anymore. And in this verse, verse 10, it's really interesting. If you look at the Greek, the expression of of God in that phrase, he is not of God, ektetheo, means that this kind of a person does not find his source of actions in God. Therefore, not of God. doesn't mean not a believer. You can be a believer and be miserable sometimes. But what it means is, is your thought processes, how you're interacting with Christ is not healthy. It means you're not abiding in Christ. It means you're not experiencing Christ. It means there's actions that are coming out of you that are not Christ-like. Because we cannot attribute any sin to Jesus. So if you're sinning, if you're angry, if you have malice toward other people, then that comes from over here. And that's something we have to deal with. But I do want to give you some hope, because if you think that, oh no, this means I'm not a believer, this means God doesn't love me, this means that I, there's no hope for me, see King David, a man after God's own heart, especially chosen by God to reign as king. Even now, you go to Israel, and people walk up to the tomb, and he's revered there, if it's actually his tomb, who knows. But... David did a couple of little things wrong, like killing Uriah, sleeping with his wife, lying about it, and he was still favored by God. And out of that union of David and Bathsheba came the, the line of Christ. That's forgiveness, that's grace. And so while we're grappling with this, I want to keep emphasizing that unusual love is an expression of grace. We've received grace so we can love others. But we must understand, John is about experiencing Christ. He's about abiding in Christ. He's about being attached to the vine. And he knows that hate and malice and bitterness and lack of relational tying together just kills that experience. So Satan is the cause. He's the overseer, which is normal hate in his system. Third point I want to make is, is also something that John is not mincing words with, and it, it, it's that hate amounts to murder. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh, come on. Well, read verse 15 with me, the first section of verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Don't really need to unpack that very much. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So this is Jesus that John is recollecting here. And I've got to tell you, when you read this book and you read, the, and you read it and you really study it, you just the echo of Jesus' words are all over it. John is, 
He's sitting there. He's old now. He's probably in his late 80s, maybe even early 90s. He's about 60 years after Christ has died. He's being, he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he must just have these words of Jesus just ringing in his heart and in his mind. Because Jesus came to offer a new kind of kingdom. Jesus came, and, and, and the Sermon on the Mount is the perfect place to see this. His kingdom is not of this world. The Pharisees were all about the outside. But they were in this kingdom. But they looked great. That cool robes, really neat hats. I wouldn't wear one, would you? Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Really nice on the outside, rotting like death on the inside. Jesus says, what's going on in your heart is the same as actions. If you hate your brother, you're a murderer. This is pretty hard hitting. Because we can't hide behind our own, you know, kind of isolation and no one's going to see this, no one's going to understand. No, God sees it all. We were talking, I was talking with someone about um, when, I went, when I went up to see uh, the, the kid who shot our son, and the detective came down, and he said, he wants to say he's sorry. He said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I said, I'm going to go listen to him, because I knew somehow the Holy Spirit brought this kind of passage up to me, and I knew that I was in no better shape than him, except that I knew Christ. If this is true, then I've murdered in my heart. So how can I not listen to a kid who actually committed the act, but before God, we're not any different. And when we come to grips with our own depravity in this area, we can give each other grace, and we can understand that we need some, some spirit-led work in our own lives. And if this is true, then, wow, Jesus is on the cutting edge of some pretty radical stuff. So if I read this correctly, if... if if I'm going to walk with Christ, and if I want to be in this kingdom over here, then I have to clean my heart out. If I see a brother or a sister, they come and they go like, hey, we've got a new car. We've got a boat. And we're going to Hawaii for spring break. And you can't come. That's the worst part. Then what comes? Envy. Coveting. And if I don't deal with that, then I am in... I'm acting like I'm in this kingdom over here. If I haven't listened to someone who said, I forgive you and I don't forgive them, I'm not abiding with Christ. If someone has hurt me and they say, did I hurt you? And I say, oh no, it's okay, don't worry about it. And then I go home and sulk and I'm angry, I am sinning. Because my heart isn't right. This is what John's talking about. And he wanted these churches to know that you can't live like culture. Jesus is calling you and I to radical living. Radical love. Unusual love. There's nothing, there is nothing normative about this kind of love. Nothing. Unfortunately, a lot of this kingdom has seeped into the churches of today. And as I was um, surveying all these churches for this thing I did and 
all over the U.S. and Canada, I kept hearing these heartbreaking stories of deceit and heartbreak and people not keeping their word. And that's in the church. It doesn't belong in the church. It doesn't belong at Ridgewood Church. Hate amounts to murder. It's the world system. It's Satan. Here's the, here's the final point I want to make before we move to, to better things. Is that hate leads somewhere. Leads to death. This kingdom is all about death. If you look here with me at verse 15, the second half now. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. So what is John saying here? He's not saying that we aren't going to sin if we're a believer. We may even carry malice or envy or covetousness. We may even act on that. It doesn't mean that we lose our salvation or that we haven't been a Christian. What John is getting at, again, for him, experience. Experiencing Christ. Normally, those kind of behaviors don't come out of that system. It comes out of that system. And so we have to be careful. And of course, if you're, if you're not a believer, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, then that death we're talking about is real, eternal torment. Don't take it lightly. If you're still over there and you've said, I don't need Christianity, I don't believe in this Jesus stuff, I don't want any part of it, then I'm just warning you that the Bible is really clear. That lack of understanding of Christ, lack of coming to Christ, lack of giving oneself to Christ leads to eternity in torment apart from Christ. Because hell's a real place. And, and Satan likes it over here. This is his thing. He loves to lie. He loves to take people down with him because he knows he's going down if he believes Scripture. So don't be over there, please. And don't let it seep into our church. It leads to death. It leads to destruction. It leaves nothing standing. But there's an alternative for us. And it is this kingdom of love and life that Christ offers us. And so let's find out what that's like. Love and life mark Christ's kingdom. This is an entirely different world now. And it's a beautiful place. God's grace allows us to step into this kingdom and out of that kingdom. And so that we can move forward and experience grace and give grace to each other. And, and, and how would we describe love in this kingdom? Here's, here's what I would say. We are called to love, to a love that looks like Jesus. And this is really remarkable. Look at verse 16. We see this love that is exemplified by Christ. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so here's the stark contrast right before us. Over in this kingdom, it's about hate and murder and taking a life. And all of a sudden, John is over here and he's saying, no, the opposite is true for you. It's about giving your life, not taking. That's what love is. It's about giving ourselves. And, and that's what this verse is saying. And that's what this kingdom is all about. You know, John in his gospel, the gospel of John, chapter 15, 12 and 13 said this. 
This is my commandment, that you love one another. These are Jesus' words, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And so we're talking here about a sacrificial love. It's not prideful. It doesn't want its own way. It's 1 Corinthians 13. Sacrificial love. This is what we are called to. So, the questions I would ask myself, and maybe you would ask yourself, if you had a chance to sit down and meditate on this passage, is, I'll start with Wendy. So, am I willing to lift up Wendy above myself? Am I willing to cheer her on, even if it doesn't do anything for me? Am I willing to want her ministry goals to succeed, even if it costs something for me? Am I a place for her that can lift her up and build her up? And help her to become closer to Christ. That's what sacrificial love looks like. Can I equip my kids to be more like Christ? Can I lay myself down for them? Can I, can I pray for them, love them, even if I don't like going out in a thunderstorm like yesterday and rescuing a child whose bike is broken? Can I live with that? But more importantly, can I allow God to take my child and do with my child, what he wants to do and not what I want? Can I equip this child to listen to God, to listen to Christ, to connect to Christ, and then let him or her go and let God use that child? In my own life, what am I accomplishing here? Am I a a resource for others? Am I a place that people can come and, and receive a gentle word of encouragement? Maybe even a gentle rebuke with love. Am I a place where people can come and get wisdom without an agenda? Because I care more about them than I do myself. Am I on this road to sacrificial love? This is not an easy kind of love. But it's the kind of love that is the best kind of love. And these are the questions we should be asking ourselves. So this sacrificial love is really important. But there's also a really practical outworking of it. And... The practical outworking of it is to help those in need to be about the business in our world of looking for ways to exemplify Christ by helping and loving people. If you look at James 1.27, he's all about this pure and undefiled religion. Can I just put in there in parentheses, authentic Christianity? Can I put in parentheses as well, unusual love? In the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James was not fancy, but he summed up Christianity right there. And so, if I look at Jesus, and if we're supposed to, to love like Christ, he was healing, he was feeding, he was clothing, he was ministering all of the time. And that's why we're always talking about this at Ridgewood. We're going into our community to make an impact for Christ. And we're already seeing fruit of that. It's starting to happen. At Reach and Restore, we want, to, we want to empower young mothers. We want to do things that matter to our community. And we're going to see more and more people come and go like, hey, I accepted Jesus because somebody developed a pipeline into my neighborhood or my place of business or Reach and Restore. And so we can't really say we're Christians if we're not about the business of loving people like Jesus loved them. And that's really, really important. Back in 1 John 13, 
17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does, God love, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In deed and in truth. Can I just say this? As a community, we need to watch each other's back. We need to be about the best for each other. And we need to be truthful, but loving. And not only to think about loving people, but to actually do it. You know, if I think of somebody that has done something really cool, and I think that's amazing, but I fail to tell them that, what good is that? It's not good at all. It doesn't help anyone. If I hear of someone in the, in the congregation or a friend that needs just a hand for, for a particular period of time, and I don't at least move into that and help, help solve that, what good is my Christianity? That's what John's saying. And, and I'll just say this, too, that we're not going to get anywhere as a church if we're not going to really grapple with these truths. No church will. And a lot of churches are built on straw. Like they do powerful ministry for a period of time. And we're all in awe of them. And we're all going, wow, that's, that's, they're amazing. They're the coolest. They've got skinny jeans for everyone, man. They're paying their musicians. They all have glasses and plaid shirts. Can we do that too? Some of these churches are super found, uh, foundational. Don't get me wrong. Some of them burn out because they're not loving each other. And that's what this is all about. And so... The thing about Ridgewood, I would say, is I think a practical outworking of this is that we give each other grace and we think the best first rather than having to prove something to people. And I would say this is something as a community that we can really develop is this idea of, yes, I look at you and I go, yeah, I really think you're, I think you're amazing. And then you have to prove otherwise. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's important. So the, the other thing I just want to touch on quickly here before we worship together is that John moves now to an outworking of this. And he talks about this idea of confident obedience and what love has to do with that. Look at verses 19 through 21. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. What is he talking about? What does this have to do with unusual love? Here's the flow. It's really simple. By, by participating in the truth, by engaging in this unusual love, we will know that we are spirit-led, that we are in Christ, and so that we can come and pray with confidence before the throne of God because we know there is no condemnation. John is giving us hope. You live in this kingdom, you follow Christ, no condemnation. If John lived as long as we think he lived, he may have stolen that phrase from Paul. Verses 22 and 23. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. This isn't a prosperity gospel passage. It is a passage that clearly gives the believer hope that if we are on the same page as Christ, 
if we are in Christ, if we are abiding in Jesus, which was John's big thing, on the vine, then we can go to him in prayer with confidence and know that we can stand there and we wear his robe of righteousness and we have no shame, no fear of the future. We're going to stand before Christ and we can stand there and go, I am robed in your righteousness. I am good to go. Praise you, Jesus. Not about me. I'm wretched. I I should be over here. And, And sometimes I act like I'm over here. So this is a spirit-filled life, and this is the last point I'll make about this kingdom, is a love that looks like this, an unusual love, has to be driven by the Holy Spirit. Verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. John loves to abide, but he's well aware of the fact that it is the Holy Spirit that does this. Remember, John... John is before the Holy Spirit and after the Holy Spirit came. How would you like to have lived through that? So he can compare. And he's saying, you can do this, you can abide, but it is the Holy Spirit that will give you the power to do that. So Satan's kingdom, don't go there. Hate, death, destruction, marriages destroyed, families come apart, people die from substance abuse. That's all Satan's thing. Over here, it's about grace. It's about love. It's about loving you with an unusual love. And it's about acting on the grace that we've been given. So your, your homework for this week is really simple. If, you, if, you're, if you're a good student, which I'm assuming all of you are, really good students, then I want you to take 10 minutes each day and pray that God would give you the Holy Spirit-led power to love in an unusual way. And that Ridgewood Church would be so unusual and so amazing and so devastatingly Christian that when people walk in that door, they will say, there's something so different about this place, I don't want to leave. And when we go out into the world, in our community groups, and in our compassion ministries, that they're going to say the same thing. But right now, I want to give you just a couple minutes of silent prayer to meditate on what we've learned. And, And... While you're meditating, thank God for his grace because he gives us the power to do this. Just pray for a couple of minutes. Father God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that we are children of God. We are no longer children of Satan. Thank you for rescuing us from that kingdom. That's, that's, that's a horrible place to live. Lord, help us to have compassion for people that are trapped there. Help us to be on mission to get them out, to fetch them, to grab them and drag them into the kingdom of life through your power of salvation. And God, I pray that we would all learn to love with this unusual love. And now as we come before you in worship, I pray that you would hear our hearts And know that we love you deeply. Thank you for your grace. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. The worship team would love you to stand. They're going to do a new song, so when you're ready, just enter in. But it's a beautiful song. There will be a prayer team here, by the way, after church on both sides. And you can just find the person to pray with if you'd like to do that. But let's stand and sing.